Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Andrew and I'm the lead pastor and we're so glad you could join us today from wherever you're watching or listening from. If this is your first time joining us, hey, do me a favor, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click I'm new. Fill out that short form online for us and as a way of saying thanks, we're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that's listed right there. We're entering into the spring. How many guys are ready for the spring? Man, I'm going to be honest. Like, I really hate winter. I love snow for sure, but I hate winter. <laughs> and so I know it's necessary. I just don't like it, but I love spring. I love spring because it means warmer weather. It means baseball. Like, this is the year Atlanta. Come on, Acuna. Do something, guys. Let's go. And of course, I love Easter, right? And, and all of us here at Radiant around the world, like, we're entering into the Easter season right now. And it's a great time to get your focus on Jesus, right? What he did for us, how he loves us, the hope that he brings to us. Uh, Easter is just a really great season. And so we're starting a new teaching series here today. And that's going to do just that. It's going to focus on uh, the sacrifice of Christ. It's called wounded. And so as you might guess, we are focusing on the blood that Jesus shed, the blood that he shed really for you and for me. And here's the thing, without that blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. There's, there's no second chance. There's no hope beyond this life. It's the blood of Jesus, which sets us free and restores us to God. But it's also the blood of Jesus, which brings healing to our lives. Like he, he brings healing to, you know, to your wounds that are physical, emotional, spiritual even. In fact, the prophet Isaiah described it like this. He said in Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5, he said, Surely he, this is speaking futuristic of Jesus here, Surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds... We are healed. Can I tell you that there's a God who, who wants that for your life here today, that he wants to bring healing to you. He wants to heal you physically. He, he wants to heal your heart as well, though. He wants to touch your mind, like mentally. He wants to heal you emotionally. God wants to heal your very soul. See, our God is a God who heals, not just in the physical, but in a holistic sense as well, right? It's made possible for us today because of the blood that Jesus shed for us. And so today, we're going to start this journey that Jesus takes to the cross beginning with a scene in a garden called Gethsemane. And so it's the night before his death, okay? He's just had what we call the Last Supper. That's the final Passover meal he's going to share with his inner circle of followers called the Twelve Apostles. And let's pick it up in Luke's account of Jesus' life uh, on that night. So Luke 22, verse number 39, following along wherever you're watching or listening from here today. He says this, Then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. And then he told them, Pray, and shall not give in to temptation. And he walked away about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. And he prayed more fervently, meaning he played, just prayed with more passion, right, and vigor. And he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. I think sometimes we have this picture of Jesus, okay, that he's like super spiritual. <laughs> he's very stiff. 
and he's super serious, you know? He's the son of God, right? So it makes perfect sense to view him that way. Like he's the perfect man with the perfect accent, right? Uh, who's always serious about God and life and all that kind of stuff. We understand the fully God part of Jesus really well. We often downplay, though, the fully man part to him. See, Jesus dealt with the same human needs and tendencies and issues that every single one of us deal with. And what I love about this passage is that we get a really good glimpse into the humanity of Jesus Christ. Like, so Luke says that he knelt down to pray, and he's asking God the Father to take away the cup of suffering. So Jesus knew you know, what would wait for him in less than 12 hours. He knew what he would go through, right? He knew that he would endure you know, amounts, uh, immense amounts of pain and suffering, and all kinds of blood would be shed. You know, and he didn't want to go through with it, believe it or not. Like, he didn't want to do that. <laughs> he's like, God, find another way if you can. I'll take that other way if it exists. I think there's another element to the suffering, though, that he focused more intently on in this moment. And I think that more intent focus actually was on the separation he would have from God. So there's a moment when he's hanging on the cross and he yells out, he says, Father, why have you left me? You know, he had never experienced what it was like to be separated from God before. He had never encountered a feeling as if God was distant. He'd always been with God. And now on the cross, he would experience what real separation was like. So in a way, he experienced what somebody entering eternity without God experiences, which is the absence of God's presence, like the separation from their creator forever. Like forget about all the things you've heard about hell for a moment. That one thing, separation from God, like that's hell itself, right? I mean, to, be, to, to never be united with your creator and to never feel and experience the presence of God, that is truly hell. And Jesus would get a glimpse of that. And he would experience that on the cross in that moment. Now, I want to pause for a moment, if I can, and I, and I want to go uh, down a very important thought trail, if I could here. Sometimes in the New Testament, you're going to read that Jesus is called the second Adam. So, so what does that mean? It's actually really important that this parallel is made by the New Testament writers, and I want to explain why, because it has everything to do with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if we go back to the very first book of the Bible, the very beginning in Genesis, we read about the first man and the first woman. It's Adam and Eve, okay? They're hanging out in the Garden of Eden. Now, Adam and Eve, they're, they're perfect. Like, sin hasn't entered the world yet. They're absolutely perfect. They got a perfect relationship with God. Everything is, say it with me here, guys, okay? Perfect, right? Perfect. But then Adam and Eve experience temptation in this garden, and instead of resisting it, they succumb to it. And they eat from this tree that God said not to eat from, and so sin enters into the world. And as a result, every person born on planet Earth is born into what theologians call original sin. You are not born inherently good. I know we don't want to think that, but the reality is we are born tainted with sin. So sin separates us from God, and so Adam and Eve's act resulted in eternal separation between God and humanity without any way to really fix it. Now, some other things happen as a result, too, of sin coming into the world. So the ground would no longer cooperate with mankind. The animals would no longer cooperate with mankind. In fact, humanity would have to work tirelessly to yield any kind of produce in the ground. They would have to do the same with livestock, starting with domestication. It wasn't really an issue at first for Adam and Eve, but now they'd have to actually domesticate animals. The symbol for all this restlessness would be the hard work defined by the sweat of their brow. And so humanity and God are, are separated, and, and there isn't a fix for it. Or is there? 
right? Because it would seem that somebody would have to come along who can fill Adam's shoes. Someone who's perfect, who has never sinned before, just like Adam, right? Up until that point in the garden. But how is that possible if every other person born after Adam is born into sin? Enter in the second Adam in this moment that we read about in Luke. See, Jesus is very unique. He is fully God on the one hand, right? And he's also fully human. And that allows him to be born into this world completely different. He's not born with original sin because he's God in the flesh. But he lives a fully human life, which means he's faced with the same temptations and opportunities to sin as we do, yet he resisted all of them. And that made him perfect, just like Adam was before his fall. So Jesus finds himself in a garden many thousands of years later, as Adam and Eve did. He finds himself again facing temptation, as Adam and Eve did. And don't over-spiritualize this for a moment. Like, he felt tempted. He was tempted to escape. He was tempted to find a way out. He didn't want to suffer. He was in agony. Luke tells us that, right? He was under stress, and he cries out to God, find another way. There's another way that I, I can do this. Like, let's do it. But he clings to the will of God. And this obedient servant and the Son of God, under such immense stress, his capillaries begin to burst, and blood mixes in with his sweat glands, and now he's actually sweating blood, which falls to the ground that God cursed in Genesis. And it's this picture, this reality of the punishment that brought us peace, which begins to really take center stage. See, Jesus was wounded for our peace, guys. And one thing our world needs right now, man, is it peace. Not, not like Miss America peace. Not like, if you could have one thing, what would it be? Well, peace. Like, not that kind of thing, all right? But I mean like real tangible, lasting, restful, grace-filled peace. Like humanity desperately needs it, and, and only Jesus can bring it. So division is it's just rampant today, isn't it? And it's not like just along political lines, like families are divided right now. Kids and parents are turning on each other. Churches are divided. Communities are divided. Everybody's looking for ways to take anything they can and use it against somebody else, right? To bring further division. It's so bad that people are using words and posts from over a decade ago and demanding like repercussions, you know? Doesn't matter if the person's changed. Doesn't matter if they're a new person. And now there's no redemptive value in our world and culture anymore. Like there is no peace. So, so what did the death and resurrection of Jesus do? Well, in Ephesians chapter 2, we read that Christ's sacrifice tore down the wall of hostility. Like it brought real lasting peace. Ephesians 2:14. Check this out. For Christ himself has brought us peace. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people with his own body on the cross, and he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. So the context in, in, in this writing here, in this letter, is division between those who are not Jewish, meaning Gentiles here, okay, and the Jewish people. Now I realize it might not sound like it has anything to do with our divisions today, right, in peace today, but it does. The author, Paul, he's speaking to a long-standing racial, ideological, and faith-driven divisions that that exists between two groups, not as any groups, but two groups in the church, right? So if you think this is just some petty first century conflict, hey, just, just hold your horses and think again, okay? Before Jesus' sacrifice, there existed an actual dividing wall in the temple to keep non-Jewish people, Gentiles, okay, out. There was separation between the races. Signs were posted in what was called the court of the Gentiles, warning non-Jews, you can't go any further or you risk being executed. There was a, a clear division between the people of God in Israel and then those who were not Jewish. It didn't matter whether you were a Gentile who decided to follow and worship God. You had to do so from the outside looking in. 
until Jesus came. And he changed it all. He changed it by breaking down the wall of separation. That's why Paul writes earlier in Galatians, in Galatians 3.28, that there's no longer a Jew or a Gentile or slave or free or male or female. You're all what? You're all one in Christ Jesus. See, our world is a, it's a polarized mess today, full of conflict and pain. But within the body of Christ, there's supposed to exist a lasting and powerful peace. Part of the reason for this is that there's no distinction here. We don't use demographics to make decisions. We don't view people according to the different labels that exist in our culture. Each one of us, together in the body of Christ, we are one with Jesus, all right? That sacrifice that Christ gave, it broke down the wall of division, even within the church itself. And it's brought real, true, lasting peace. You don't think the rest of the world doesn't take notice when they see a community of people living at peace with one another, who are completely different, by the way, right? Who have no business, at least on paper, being together. Like, well, you know, why, why can we have different races and genders and ideologies worshiping and serving and praying and, and, and just going hard after God alongside each other? It's not because we identify with a political or social movement or even our own race or gender. It's because we recognize we are wonderfully, fearfully, beautifully made in the image of God. And together, what? We form the body of Christ. We have conflicts that arise, sure, okay? But our unity in Jesus enables us to move beyond the conflict and continue to live at peace with each other. Entire governments are trying to figure out how to get their people to live at peace with one another in the same kind of way that the body of Christ does. The peace that Jesus brings, it is a peace this world craves. But Paul keeps going. Look at verse 15. He says this, that he, speaking about Jesus here, all right, he did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. So again, we're all one in Christ because, you know, remember, he's wounded for our peace, right? Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. The Jews were near because they had the Old Testament law and, and that kind of thing. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. We spent a little bit of time talking about collective peace that Christ brings to us as a community of believers, but he also brings peace to us on that individual level as well, especially in terms of our relationship with God. So remember, there exists a, a separation between us and God, right, as a result of sin. And in this separation, there is no peace. You can't have peace without having Jesus. And you can't have and you can't live in peace with other people unless you first have it in Christ, all right? So many people, they're, they're trying to find you know, peace in their lives. They're trying to find it in all the wrong places. They're hoping, you know, if, if I just if I vote for the right person who gets into office, I'll have peace. They're hoping that if their kid gets into the, you know, the one school that they're hoping they get into, that there, there might be peace, you know. They're hoping the other person comes to them first, right? Yeah, we've all been there. And then they can have peace. But you can only have real peace, real lasting peace, when you and you alone surrender to Christ. And the reason is because, you know, for you to have a peace that lasts and reconciles and brings folks together in a supernatural way, it can only come when you are made whole and complete by God. The peace that God brings in the Hebrew is called shalom. You've probably heard that term a time or two, I'm sure, right? What does shalom mean, though? It means completeness or wholeness. 
It's actually a state of being. It's the state of things being as they should, as God himself intended. It's the ideal nature that God had in mind from the very beginning of creation. It's what Adam and Eve were living in during their time in the garden. They had the perfect life. They literally lived in a state of shalom, right? And then they sinned, and that perfect state of peace, and that perfect state of wholeness was destroyed. And it wasn't until Jesus sweat those great drops of blood in Gethsemane, until he endured the scourges from the whips and the pierced hands, that the shalom began to be restored again. That hasn't been completed in our world. I mean, not yet. You know, our world's far from perfect. It's not the ideal state. We're aware of that. But one day in eternity, ultimate peace will be established in God's kingdom. And shalom will reign everywhere. But until then, this shalom was made available to you and me today through the blood and sacrifice of Christ. So because Jesus was wounded and because he died and rose again, he's now become our peace. Our lives are as they should be when Christ is given priority. Your life may not feel complete and whole today, but peace doesn't have to be elusive for you. You can literally walk in the shalom and the completeness and the wholeness as things should be when Jesus is Lord of your life. Years ago, there was a time in my life where I was under incredible amounts of stress. I was not living in the state of, sh in the state of shalom for sure, okay? Uh, my body had never been exposed to this kind of stress before, that amount of stress, and just didn't know how to react. And so I was young, I was in my early 20s, I was very fit, I ran three to five miles a day. And I tell you that because it's gonna sound crazy here in a moment, I felt like I was having heart attacks, okay? I, I know it sounds crazy. I just, what I didn't realize though is that they were actually panic attacks. I had no idea because I'd never had one before. So I walked up to my pastor after service one Sunday. I was home on a visit and I just walked up to him and said, here's, here's what I'm going through. And I experienced, I explained everything I was experiencing. And I wanted prayer more than anything because I thought I was dying. <laughs> I'm like, read my last rites, you know? Uh, to his credit though, he, not, he didn't dismiss what I was going through. Uh, he knew where I was at. And he said, hey, you know what, man? Like, you need God's peace. And I prayed for that peace and began to walk in the peace that Christ can bring. And the panic attacks, you know what happened? It stopped. To this day, this is very important. Listen to me here. To this day, whenever I encounter a situation where stress or pressure overwhelms me and I don't know what to do, like, I, I didn't know what to do when my youngest son was born. He was born at 32 weeks. He wasn't supposed to come early. We weren't sure what would happen to him. We weren't sure what happened to my wife. She had a massive blood clot that we didn't know about that caused early labor. She had a risk of death, so did he. It was a crazy thing. It was unknown. It was pressure. It was stressful. It was not peaceful, right? Whenever I don't know what to do, I seek Christ's peace. I remember that he died, that he rose again not just to free me from my sin, but to bring healing. And in that healing, there is peace that my soul craves. My wife can tell you how real it is, because there are times where I'm calm. I'm not giving off a vibe that I'm concerned about something. She can't figure it out. And it's really because I'm far closer to Jesus than she is, right? No, no I'm kidding. That's not true. She's getting better. She's getting better. Okay, for real though, for real. I, I've learned over the years that when you choose to hand things over to Jesus, things you can't control, when you choose to let his peace reign in your life, you can have peace while the whole world's falling around you. You know why? Because you know, man, God's sovereign, God's got you. And that peace is only possible because of the blood of Jesus. His blood bridges the gap. It bridges the gap between the races, between the ideologies, between generations, between any and all differences. But most importantly, it bridges the gap between ourselves and God. 
with that this peace, it can complete your life so much that when God looks at you, He chooses to see you as somebody without sin. And it's not that you haven't sinned. He knows you have. It's just that when you're forgiven, you know what God does? He chooses, and I love this because it's a choice. He consciously makes a choice here. He chooses not to remember those sins again. Isaiah 43, 25, the Lord says this. He says, I, yes, I alone will blot out your sin for my own sake and will never think of them again. How can God do that? How can he just choose not to remember those sins any longer? Other people remember, right? I mean, like other folks remember my sins. They'll, they'll remind you of what your past was like. They'll remind you of who you once were. They bring all that back to the forefront when a conflict breaks out or it's convenient for them, but not God. Why is that? Psalm 103 gives us a great answer. Psalm 103, 12 tells us this, that he, we're talking about God here, okay? He's removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. The reason God doesn't bring it back up is because he's already taken care of it. He's removed your sin. And in the absence of that sin, where forgiveness is given, God also brings peace. And when you, you know, you did some terrible things. I, I, I get it. I got it. Yeah. You weren't the best person. Okay. You hurt people. All right, fine. You missed it. Yeah, I got it. But you can have peace still. You can have peace about who you are today and where you're going. Why? Because God's forgiveness can take care of that sin which wants to find you and what separated you from God. And instead, His forgiveness fills your heart with His peace. So many people are trying to find a real lasting peace in all kinds of places, all over the place. But Jesus, and it's, you know, and it's just not working out for them, right? And it might temporarily serve a purpose for them, but it doesn't really last. They feel unsatisfied. They're left still wanting more. They're, they're still searching, really. So I wonder today, man, like, how is your life? Are you filled with fear and deep anxiety? Do you have relationships which are in tatters because of division? Do you, does it seem like your soul cannot find the rest it needs? You know what that feeling's like. You need God's peace today. You need the shalom that Christ offers. And the good news is that because Jesus shed his blood, because he died for us and rose again, we can have the peace which makes us whole. So what i like to do today is this. I'd like to pray for a couple of you guys out there. First, I want to pray for those of you who don't know Jesus. You might say, Pastor, I need that peace today. That peace you're talking about, I don't have it. I want it. I'm not a follower of Christ. But can I be a follower so I can have that? Because I, I need it. I need, I need a rest. And if that's you today, man, that's awesome. We're going to lead you in a two-step prayer to make Christ our Lord and Savior. And that's the beginning of your spiritual journey, by the way. It's not the end. Then there are those of you who, you know, you, you're already Christians, but you're not living in a state of peace right now. You're living restlessly. And you need to be reminded today that God is sovereign, that God's got your back, that God's got control of this. That when you feel overwhelmed, when you feel pressure, when you feel stress, choose to follow Jesus. When you, there's division in your family, choose to seek out the peace that God brings. When there is uh, decisions that you don't know, you know how you're going to make the right choice and, and it's just getting to your heart and you got panic attacks going on, hey, slow down, all right? Choose to seek out the peace that Christ can bring. So Father, I thank you today for those who are watching and listening wherever they're uh, listening and watching from. Lord, I, I thank you that, that, that there are those today saying, hey, pastor, I, I, I want a relationship with Christ because I, I need that peace. In fact, if that's you right now, I want you to say this prayer along with me in your own words. You don't got to repeat after me, but in your own words, we're going to say a prayer like this. 
Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me for my sin. I don't want to do things my own way anymore. I want to live according to your standard. I, I want a shot at a new life in you. Take my sin, as your word says, blot it out. Choose to not bring it up again. Remove it as far from me as the east is from the west, as you promise. And if we can do that, you've just made him savior of your life. But there's a second step to that, and that's, that's called making him Lord. And so that, that prayer goes like this. Now that I've made you savior, I, I want to make you Lord. I want to follow you. I don't want to call the shots anymore. I don't want to do my own thing. From this moment forward, from today onward, I choose to commit myself to follow you, Jesus. I will serve you. I will obey you. I will become yours. Can you lead me and guide me into the life you have for me? If you said that prayer, he's now Lord and Savior of your life, and your journey is just beginning. Now, God, for those who are already Christians today, they're struggling. They need peace. Lord, remind them. Holy Spirit, convict them in moments where they feel overwhelmed, when they feel stressed, when panic attacks come on, God, where they don't know where to turn. Convict them and remind them, hey, God's got this. Seek his peace. Seek his peace. There is a peace that Jesus brings to us through the death and resurrection that, 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 that he, he suffered for, for us. There is a peace that can calm any storm. There is a peace that can bring supernatural uh, healing in tattered relationships and divisions within families. There's, there's a peace that can overwhelm our soul when we are in our dark moments. There is a peace that exists for us, a state of shalom that we can live and walk in and be in so long as we wrap ourselves in the peace of Christ. Remind us, God, to do that, to always be seeking after this peace and to walk in the peace that Christ can bring. Lord, we thank you for who you are and for what you've done and for these new lives that are committing to follow you. We pray this, Father, in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.